Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 7. Our scripture reading is 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning in verse 3 and reading through verse 20. But let me just remind us as we are making our way through this part of this book of 2 Kings, uh, remind us of some of the things that have preceded the section we're going to look at tonight. Remember that the king of Syria, the great enemy of the northern kingdom of Israel, had laid siege to Samaria, Samaria being the capital of the northern kingdom. And remember, if you look at your Bible, at chapter 6, verses 25 and following, there was a great famine going on. And you remember that the king of Israel was going to, uh, walking about the city, and he was called to by a woman who complained about the fact that, uh, that someone had uh, agreed to eat her son if they could eat the others in the morning. And so they boiled the son and ate him. But the next day, the other woman did not follow through on her promise. Such such a plea, such depravity, such horror, so overwhelmed the king that he tore his clothes and he swore that he would have Elisha's head, that he was pretty much done with praying about this famine, and he was ready to take some action, and he was ready to deal with the one whom he felt was the cause of this severe famine, namely Elisha. He thought of Elisha instead of the prophet of the Lord, rightly, he thought of him as his enemy. And so he goes to Elisha, you might remember, and at the end of chapter 6, as he comes, the, he come, the king comes preceded by a messenger. Elisha shuts the door, and uh, he says, Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? Verse 32 of chapter 6. In verse 33, And while he was still speaking with him, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should we wait for the Lord any longer? And then in the beginning of chapter 7, we have Elisha pronouncing uh, 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 the word of the Lord. He says, Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And the captain who was there and who heard these words was uh, astounded to hear them, and he replied, leaning with the king, leaning on his arm, he said to the man of God, if the, if the Lord himself were to open windows in heaven, could this thing be? And Elisha replied to him, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And that then brings us, that's the the set up for the text that we have before us tonight, which begins in verse 3. 
This is the word of God. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die, we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. And so they fled away at twilight and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into the, a tent, and they ate, and they drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing. And they went and they hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. And then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And so they came and called to the gatekeeper of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, and nothing but the horses and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. And then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. The king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what these Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, they shall, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, Let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already, who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan. Behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste, and the messengers returned and told the king. And then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So, and this is important, a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. 
Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow at the gate of Samaria. The captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's uh, pray once again. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, uh, we ask that this word that we have read would assume a place of importance to us and that we would read it with eager eyes and that we would seek to understand it with eager hearts. For we know that this is indeed your word to us this night. Just as the word of of Elisha to this captain was the word of the Lord to him. And so it is vitally important as to how we respond to it as it was vitally important to him. And so, O Lord, we pray, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. This is a a story that uh, contains for us uh, an account of a word of the Lord spoken That is, a promise that is given. And that's the first thing we're going to look at, the promise of the Lord. Secondly, this is a passage that tells us of the word of the Lord fulfilled. Thirdly, we're going to see how the good news of its fulfillment was announced and by whom it was announced. And then fourthly, we're going to note the judgment that fell upon the man who was a captain who mocked the promise that God had made. An amazing story, an amazing story. And so the first thing for us to look at then is the word of the Lord given by Elisha. That is mentioned twice at the very end. If you 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 notice there, there is a repetition of the word of the Lord two times at the end of chapter 7. But if you go back to the beginning, the part that we, we read in which the word of the Lord is spoken for the first time to this captain, and this word is this. Now, in, in chapter 7, verse 1, And Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Those are, those are big and powerful words. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Such a promise of surplus, such a promise of food, 
to a people who are so starving that they're willing, some of them, to eat their own children. Such a promise was mocked as incredible and impossible even for God. We ask ourselves the question, what is the state of our own mind and heart concerning the word of God? This book is full of thus says the Lord, the Bible is. And throughout it, those words are directed to us as well. And the question is, are we more like the captain or are we more those who believe the word of God no matter how incredible it may seem to be? So the word of God is spoken to this man. And uh, Ralph Davis in his comment on this uh, says this. He says, if God promises deliverance, however wild it may seem, we are required to believe it. We must believe what Yahweh says no matter how unlikely it may seem or how far-fetched it may seem, whatever God says, we are required to give it credence and to place our faith and our trust in it. Of faith, Martin Luther says this, and uh, anybody who's been around me for any length of time has heard me probably quote this, but I don't tire of mentioning it. It is this, and I quote, it honors him whom it trusts with the most reverent and highest regard, since it considers him truthful and trustworthy. There is no other equal to the estimate of the truthfulness with which we honor him whom we trust. On the other hand, there is no way in which we can show greater contempt for a man than to regard him as false and wicked and to be suspicious of him. But when the soul firmly trusts God's promises, it regards him as being truthful and righteous. I love that. It is a clear statement of what faith is. It is to ascribe to God truthfulness. And think of it, if we do not, what are we saying? That he is a creature like us and that he prevaricates and that he doesn't always say what is exactly the truth and therefore we cannot always trust him. Think of what unbelief actually is. It is that kind of a response to God, the God who made you. So God does expect all of us to regard him as truthful and to believe his word. Now, you might think of some examples of promises that seem very, very great indeed. When I was in the hospital earlier this evening, I read John 11, 25 and 26, these words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me 
shall never die. Incredible. What is Jesus announcing here? He's denouncing his defeat of Satan. He's announcing his defeat of the penalty of sin. He's announcing that death as a curse, death as the curse upon mankind has been removed. And that our death is merely an entrance in to the further personal experience of the glory of God. And therefore, it can't be characterized as death. And so Jesus makes that statement. Now, Jesus says, he whoever, whoever believes this has everlasting life. Incredible, an incredible statement. Given the fact of death's universal sway over every single man, woman, and child who has ever lived other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Another remarkable promise. Think of this in the the world in which we live. Think of this in relation to Hamas. Jesus says, at the name of Jesus, every, or Paul said this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should, shall bow under heaven and on earth and under the earth. It is the promise that everyone will bow and acknowledge the supreme rule and reign and the deity of Jesus Christ. Hard to think of it. Seems Seems outlandish, seems impossible. But here, so this captain thought, was the promise with a city under siege, experiencing famine, how could it possibly be with that specific time reference and in that specific place, it's impossible for that to happen. And so he was unbelieving. And the severe penalty that is given, that will be required of all those who regard the word of the Lord as untrustworthy is announced by Elisha when he says, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So then the question comes to us, who are we? What is the state of our hearts? Are we believing? Are we trusting? the grand and the wonderful promises of the gospel in Jesus Christ? Is your heart resting in the truthfulness of what God has spoken? How careful we need to be how we listen. The gospel says that itself after the parable of the sower is told and explained. Be careful how you listen because we will be held accountable for the way in which we respond to the word of God. And so just to repeat, when God speaks, all men and women, all are required to hear and to regard him as truthful and righteous. But secondly, we want to know in this passage the way in which God fulfilled this promise that he had made 
to the king and to this captain. And verse 3 comes and mentions to us these four lepers. And they do seem to kind of be inserted into this story in a sudden way. Here we are, we're kind of uh, hearing Elisha speak to the king's captain. These words come out of Elisha's uh, mouth. And the next thing that we're faced with is four lepers. And we ask the question, why these four lepers? Well, the Lord uh, chose these four men to be his instruments. And they were unlikely instruments. And they were chosen, and uh, uh, it, it, it falls out in a very unlikely way. And think about the fact that this promise made to the king of Israel, it was uh, uh, unconditional. Israel, the king of Israel, uh, he didn't think any more about what Elisha said. It was not important to him. He didn't count it as having any value. Uh, the people of Samaria were idol-worshipping. Did they deserve this promise to be fulfilled? No, they didn't. Uh, they deserved God's judgment, and yet God is showing mercy to an idol-worshipping people because why? They're his covenant people. They belong to him. And every act of judgment is an act in which he is seeking a response of repentance and faith. And that's true for you and for me as well in our lives. Everything we experience in our lives is God calling to us. Are you trusting in me? Are you walking with me? Or are we so overtaken with the things of life and of, of the world that we give little thought to the Lord? So these men, these lepers, represent a very unlikely recipient of the, the knowledge of the fulfillment of these promises. And, uh, you know, we are unlikely recipients, and, and we kind of fall in the category of being lepers. We are in ourselves, in our own sin, unclean. And the wonderful thing is that it's the gospel, it's, it's, a, it, it's Christ who cleans us. It's Christ who, by his shed blood, washes us. And Paul states that so beautifully when he says, some, after describing all of these uh, sins uh, that were committed by the Corinthians prior to their conversion, then he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Yeah, these lepers are unlikely, just as we are unlikely recipients of the knowledge of God's goodness. We listen in on their conversation. Notice how they, these four lepers are at the entrance of the gate. And they have a conversation among themselves. And if you uh, were to underline or circle every time the word die occurs in verses 3 through 4, I count 1, 2, 3, 4 times that word is used. Why are we sitting here until we die, someone says. If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there for certain. If we sit here, we die so now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. 
If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. One thing on their mind, they are doomed to death. They are doomed to death, and they are willing to go over to the enemy and pin their slim little sliver of hope that they might get out of this alive on the mercy of the enemies of Israel, Syria. And so they go and they decide to do this. But it's a strange thing. It's right here where God acts. And God is at the center of this story. And what God does is an amazing thing. Verse 6, for the Lord... For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come up against us. And they fled at twilight. Now it is right at twilight that the four lepers are making their way. And it's interesting to me, it seems as though these events are happening in parallel. The lepers are making their way to the Syrians. And God and his army in heaven, with the army that we were introduced to prior in the book of 2 Kings, God and his army in heaven, uh, his angels, he makes the Syrians, it's a miracle of hearing, he makes the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, which were loud enough and dramatic enough so that they were frightened out of their minds. Now, that had to be something great. It had to be something overwhelming to have that kind of a reaction. But they, they, uh, they totally, the Syrians, fled the scene. And uh, they uh, ran. And they left everything behind. And so there is action here in the heavenly realms and it strikes me, and it's something I think we should think about more often. Behind the things that occur on earth, there is great action in the heavenly realms. God is active, and he is doing great things. Though they are unknown to us and invisible to us, he is very much at work. So we come face to face here with the principalities and the powers. Behind the scenes, the Lord's angels, uh, in, the, in the hearing that he causes the uh, Syrian army to hear this great army coming upon them. And so imagine the situation. This city of Samaria is surrounded by a Syrian army. They're under siege. And this has lasted for a period of time. And the Syrian army, you can imagine, they were probably building towns and food supply warehouses and as, uh, as armies are known to do, the supply chain must follow the men who are uh, out fighting. And so the supply chain of food is, ring, is out there uh, while the residents of Samaria are starving. You think about that, and you think of the contrast there, that the army was well supplied, and everything that Israel needed was there. They didn't have access to it. But God provided that access through the removal of the army. And so these four lepers make their way, and we come to uh, verse 8, and when the four lepers 
uh, came to the edge of the camp. They went into a tent and they ate and they drank. And they carried off silver and gold and uh, clothing. And they went and hid them. You can imagine, they were delirious. <laughs> you know, you think about it, think about them. Imagine it in your mind, you know, all these tents filled with stuff. It's like, we just struck the lottery. We just, we just made it big. And not only that, but their retirement was well taken care of. They went and they hid uh, probably things of great wealth that they could find later and use. They were delirious with joy. What a wonderful thing it is that they experienced uh, this uh, overwhelming supply. And so instead of death, which they fully expected, God provided food, drink, silver, gold. Imagine how joyful they were. And so we see then that God is not lacking in power to fulfill what he promised, no matter how contrary to human expectation or calculation it might be. And God chose these men who are unlikely, who are considered unclean, who are the poor and the outcasts of society. He chose these men to discover it. So thirdly, we come then to the announcement of the good news at the gate and the telling of the king to the king in verses 9 through 11. So they have another conversation. We are introduced then to another conversation that they have with one another in verse 9. We are not doing right. That's interesting. The lepers were aware that what they were doing was not right. The women who called to the king and asked him to settle their dispute over the slaughtered babies seemed to have no awareness of it. No conviction. It was all stated like just blunt fact. The lepers, on the other hand, have consciences. They're, they're convicted. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. This is a day of good news. And we are being silent. If we are silent and wait for the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come. Let us go and tell the king's household. And so... They go and they tell the king, let us go, and they go and they tell. How important it is for the good news of God's fulfilled promises to be told. In fact, that's what the gospel proclamation is, that we tell how God has fulfilled this unbelievable promise of life forevermore. And so we see then in verses 12 through 14, the way in which their story was told. The king rose at night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. Uh, they know we're hungry. They know we're going to go out. Um, and uh, they're just waiting to take us alive and to get into the city in that way. And so we see that the king of Israel is totally lacking in any connection between what he is hearing and the promise that Elisha had said, second, uh, said before, no connection. You know, that's also something that we can do. The promises of God relate particularly to us in Christ. And yet, how often is it the case that we do not make a connection between what we know 
and what we're actually experiencing. And it requires of us to be able not to be those who forget the word, but to remember it and to bring it to bear in that moment. Well, the king didn't do this, and uh, he is unbelieving. And so then uh, we see that they go out and they inspect the, the situation because of the servants. And again, this is interesting that in verse 13, the servants come to the king and they say, let's some, uh, take out some remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel have already perished. Let us send and see. So here's a sliver of faith. Here's a sliver of, oh, may, maybe this is true. Maybe this is, report is true. And so the king grudgingly goes along and he says, okay, go and see. And they go and they see. In verse 15, what do they find? They find the same thing that the lepers found. All these things strewn, the field littered with all the supplies that they so desperately needed. And so then finally we come tonight to the final point of this section, the judgment that is brought upon the unbelieving, the unbelieving captain of the king. And so we're told that uh, again, so the people went out and plundered in verse 16, they plundered the camp of the Syrians. There was probably a mad rush through the gate and everyone was starving to death. And you can imagine how they probably would have all converged to get out of the city and to go and find food. What a desperate situation it must have been. And so it came to pass that a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of God. And so indeed, the word of God came true. God's word is true. Every word that he has spoken is absolutely true, and we must believe it. But here in the final verses, we are given an account of one who did not. The captain on whose hand the king had leaned had charge of the gate, verse 17, and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, and again, as the man of God had said. So every word that the man of God has said is, you can see it in this text, every word that he said, it, it, and it's as though the writer of Kings is putting his finger on it and pointing to it. And he wants his audience, he wants his readers to see that every word out of God's mouth is true and should be believed. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of the city. The captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat it. And see how that the very beginning of chapter 7 is, is repeated verbatim here at the end. It's repeated verbatim, the promise. And the response of the captain and the words of the captain are repeated verbatim and it's being underlined for us. And verse 20 brings us to the conclusion, and so it happened to him. And so it happened to him. 
for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. What is this? What is this? Is it not a solemn warning? Here's the thing. God promised the people of Israel a Messiah, and he sent them the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected him, but God raised him from the dead. And you know this phrase, windows of heaven, strikes me. For it seems to me that God in Christ has opened wide the windows of heaven. For the book of Ephesians tells us that every blessing comes to us from Jesus Christ, who is where? In the heavenly places. And every blessing that has so richly been supplied has given you the perfect atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's provided for the payment of the penalty of your sins. He has called you by his grace and by his spirit and brought you into saving faith and union with his son. He's adopted you and made you his child. He's justified you and declared you to be righteous because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. All of these blessings come to us from heaven. Indeed, the windows of heaven have been opened to us. And how should we respond when we hear such wonderful news? How should we respond when we hear that God has done has promised to give all those who trust in Christ life everlasting, and all those who follow him, and all those who endure through suffering will receive the crown of righteousness. Yes, the Christian life is difficult. Yes, the Christian life involves many, many challenges. But as we heard this morning, God will provide for us that we will endure to the end. But the warning is a solemn one as well. This man who is trampled at the gates, it is a solemn warning to us. What the writer of Hebrews says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking or if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. Therefore, let us be grateful and receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And so the conclusion that I think that we should come to is this. The promise of God to you and to me in Christ in the gospel is a promise to which we must respond wholeheartedly in faith and trust. And thus the importance of believing believing God. May God help us to do that even this very night. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, even in this account, 
and uh, the announcement of the full the fulfillment of your word uh, that we see a foreshadowing of that fulfillment in Christ. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would grant to us a living and saving faith that we might trust your word in all things, that we would believe you always with all of our heart and live accordingly, we pray. Grant that to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.